the last part of chapter 61, just to kind of recap where we're at, and we'll be going into 62. Oh, boy, that was good. And as we've, we're, we've entered into the final division in the book of Isaiah, and the chapters that we're going to look at here through chapter 66 are going to deal with different aspects of the millennial view. The Bible teaches that Jesus will have a physical reign on the earth, that he will reign from the throne of David. It was a promise that Jesus gave, that, that, the, that the Lord gave actually at Jesus' incarnation. He said that he would sit on the throne of David forever and ever. He is going to sit. The throne of David is in Jerusalem. So he will rule and reign. And the promise for the nation of Israel throughout their history has been to look for this, <clears throat> to look toward the return or their coming of their Messiah. It's interesting, I shared, I think, last time we were together, how when we were in Israel, still today, you go to the Western Wall <clears throat> and you speak to some of the, <clears throat> the Jewish uh, folks that are there praying, and they'll tell you, they're looking for their Messiah because he's going to come, he's going to build the temple, and he's going to bring peace. And we see that character in Revelation chapter 6. It's a man coming in, riding on a white horse, with a bow in his hand. He's got a, a peace plan for the nation of Israel. He's going to provide for them to be able to build their temple. He's going to be that leader that they look to and say, that's the Messiah. Now listen, today, as then, they're looking for a human being leader. They're not looking for God. What do they do with the scriptures that say, and you will call his name Emmanuel, which is God with us? What do they do with the scriptures that declare to us that he is from everlasting? That means beyond the vanishing point, as far back in history as you can go, this person already existed. Over and over again, Isaiah laid out for him that the coming of the Messiah would be with power. And when he came, that the Messiah would be God in the flesh. You will call him uh, Emmanuel. But not only that, you will call him the everlasting Father, mighty God, Prince of Peace. All of these titles we see pointing to Jesus Christ, pointing to the Messiah, yet they are looking for a man, a leader. My, hey, that's what Jesus said, right? I came in my Father's name. You won't receive me, but another will come in his own name, and him you will receive. The table is set for that. But you see, the nation of Israel is still looking for the promise that God gave. The coming kingdom. And Isaiah is focusing on that. Now listen, we know we can make application from the pages of Scripture to us, but we need to understand the context that it's being delivered in. Isaiah from about chapter 57 is pointed at the kingdom, the return of Jesus Christ. And you remember... Last time as we broke on chapter 61, <clears throat> these are the words that Jesus read from uh, the synagogue in Nazareth. When he said, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. 
Now in Luke chapter 4 it says, And he stopped, rolled up the scroll, and said, Today this is fulfilled in your hearing. When we read that scripture out of Isaiah, we notice that there's not a period there. There's no punctuation there. There's now punctuation because Jesus punctuated it. That first portion that he read, he came to fulfill. The first coming of Messiah. Afterwards deals with the second coming and looking toward the kingdom. What he didn't read, he didn't read, and the day of vengeance of our God. The day of vengeance of our God, we study through the pages of scripture, through the book of Daniel and on into Revelation, deals with that final 70th week of Daniel. Daniel, in the prophecies that Daniel was given, was given 490 years of prophecy concerning the nation of Israel. All of it has been fulfilled except for one week, one seven-year period of time. That one seven-year period of time we commonly call the tribulation period. The time of God's wrath, the wrath of God poured out on a Christ-rejecting world. And we see that wrath being poured out is what the scripture is talking about here in this final phrase. The day of the vengeance of our God. It begins from the beginning. Revelation chapter 6 verse 1 is the beginning of the tribulation period in the scriptures. From the beginning it is called the wrath of God. From the first day. It is the wrath of God. In fact at the end of chapter 6 if you get a chance read chapter 6 this week. As you come to the end of chapter 6 it will say the people are hiding themselves under the rocks. Or asking the rocks to fall on them and hide them from The Lord, who can save us from, what's the scripture say? The wrath of the Lamb. The wrath of the Lamb. The wrath of God poured out on a Christ-rejecting world. Beginning of the tribulation period. But then he looks forward. Now, at the conclusion of that, he gives us that one phrase that deals with that seven-year period of time. But then at the conclusion, to comfort those who mourn. To console those who mourn in Zion. Why? Because... Folks, the nation of Israel is going to be nearly destroyed during that period of time. To give them beauty for ashes. Speaking of the rebuilding that's going to take place within the nation of Israel. The garment of praise, the spirit of heaviness. That they may be called trees of righteousness. The planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. All of this looking at that rebuilding that's going to take place there in Jerusalem. Entering into the kingdom age. The time when Jesus Christ will rule for a thousand years. He speaks of this rebuilding in verse 4. They will rebuild the old ruins. They will raise up the former uh, desolations. They will repair the ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. Strangers will stand and feed your flocks. Then he goes on to say, hey, there's going to be a time where you have been exalted and others are going to come and do some of these menial tasks that the nation had always done before. It speaks of a great time of prosperity, prosperity for the nation of Israel. And the sons of the, of the foreigner will be your plowmen and your vine dressers. But you will be named the priests of the Lord. Exodus 19.6, the Lord declared to the nation of Israel... You will be to me a kingdom of priests. It's also a phrase that God uses in 
First uh, and Second Peter dealing with the church. That we're called a, a kingdom of priests. <clears throat> What's the point of that? Listen, when you consider the tribe of Levi and the nation of Israel, understand that what it meant to be part of that tribe was that God is your portion. That means all I'm looking for in this life is more of him. That's what it means to be the priest. That's what it means to be in the tribe of Levi. Did they get any inheritance? None. What was their inheritance? The Lord God. The Lord God was their inheritance. So being that, having that mindset, hey, this is everything that we need. And that the nation of Israel, again, we're speaking of the nation of Israel. Does God still have a plan for Israel? Well, if he doesn't, these, this whole last section of the book of Isaiah, we should just throw away. Because it's dealing with what God's going to be doing through the nation of Israel in the end times, at the end. He says that you will eat the riches of the Gentiles, and in their glory you will boast. Instead of your shame, you will have double. And instead of confusion, they will rejoice in their portion. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess double. Double what? Everlasting joy will be theirs. You go to the nation of Israel, (coughs) excuse me, today... And they're pretty, um, what's the word? I don't, distrust, not really it, but they, they're frustrated. They're frustrated that on one hand, people say, the rabbis will tell them we're God's chosen people. And on the other hand, life has been nothing but hard from the get-go. Everybody wants to kill them. Everybody's upset. Everybody's frustrated. All these things that are going on with them. Now here the Lord says, at that time, when Jesus rules and reigns, then it's all going to be good. Why? What does that teach us? That teaches us that if we have Jesus Christ as our king, central in our lives, then we will find that thing that's been missing in our life all along. For the nation of Israel, that ever since the, the loss of the temple and before that, they really didn't have that that click in relationship with God that God always wanted for them and that they always struggled against, just as we do. But now, when Jesus is the king, when he's come, they're going to finally realize what they've been missing all along. Just as we do when we come to salvation in Jesus Christ. And we say, wow, if I had known that it could be like this before... What was holding me? What was keeping me from the the satisfaction that I can find in the Lord? For I, the Lord, love justice, and I hate robbery for burnt offering. Now, one of the problems with the nation of Israel during this time in their history was that they had this concept that, you know, it was all ritual. All ritual. I'm not bringing you my burnt offering anymore. I'm going to the temple and purchasing one. Was that what the burnt offering was supposed to be about? All the Lord said was, give your best. Go pick out that, your, your firstborn, the, the, the very best that you have, and bring that to the Lord. A, a burnt offering was an offering that you could offer in your own free will. But instead of bringing an offering, they'd go to the temple, buy some offering that didn't ever, they never had to, to raise it, they never had to feed it, they never had to care for it. It had no... Uh, uh, um, connection with this animal whatsoever and then they take it to the temple offer it and basically all it was was just this ritual that they did 
<clears throat> the Lord says, look, I don't want the ritual. I want what the ritual speaks of, the consecration to me. That's what the burnt offering was all about. I hate robbery for burnt offerings. And I will direct their work in truth and will make with them an everlasting covenant. Now, remember, we're talking about the nation of Israel. How long does everlasting last? Does everlasting ever stop? So you see that whole concept that the church has replaced Israel was not taught in the pages of Scripture. An everlasting covenant lasts forever. God has a plan for the nation. Their descendants shall be known as the Gentiles and their offspring among the people. All who see them will acknowledge them. It's telling about the end of anti-Semitism, that there will be peace, that the Gentiles will be considered their children, that they, may, or that they are the posterity whom the Lord has blessed. Oh, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. How did they get the garments of salvation? He has clothed me. That robe of righteousness won by Jesus Christ. He covered me with a robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments and the bride adorns herself with jewels. For as the earth brings forth its bud and the garden causes things that are sown in it to spring forth, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring forth before all the nations. He's saying, listen, I guarantee, just like the Lord God causes righteousness and praise to spring forth, just as the earth brings forth bud, just as things grow, I guarantee it'll happen. It doesn't mean that there won't be a period of time of labor and work between now and then, but it is going to happen, the promise of God. And then in chapter 62, he says, Now, for Zion's sake, I will not hold my peace. By the way, Isaiah didn't have a problem with his geography. When he says, for Zion's sake, that's what he means. For Zion's sake, for Israel. Specifically, Jerusalem. God says that's why he is going to come and save the nation of Israel. As we come to Revelation chapter 19, and we see the return of Jesus Christ with all of his saints. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a lamp that burns. God has a purpose and a plan behind the prophetic calendar that deals with the nation of Israel. In fact, if we want to really have a good understanding of it, I encourage you to turn with me to Daniel just briefly, and we'll go get a little uh, refresher course on God's prophetic plan for the nation of Israel. Just keep turning right till you get to Daniel chapter 9. Now, in Daniel chapter 9, beginning at verse 24, <clears throat> I think that's probably all we'll do. Uh, he lays out for us God's prophetic plan for the nation of Israel. He says, 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city, 70 weeks, 77-year periods of time. 
70 hepstads. It literally is 70 sevens. 70 sevens are determined. 490 years of prophetic history. Here's what the prophetic history is all about. Listen to the purpose. For your people and your holy city. To finish the transgression. To make an end of sin. To make reconciliation for iniquity. To bring in everlasting righteousness. To seal up or to finish, complete the vision and prophecy. And to anoint the most holy. As the Lord lays out for us this prophetic plan that he has for the nation of Israel, he gives us the purposes. And then if we look at Isaiah chapter 62 verse 1, again he's saying, listen, I want to see righteousness in Jerusalem. I want to see Zion, the city that, that God, the, the city the way God wants it to be. Established the way God desires for it to be established. Focused on Him. Remember, who owns it? The, the scripture tells us, the, the Pentateuch lays it out, that's God's land. God says, that's mine. He gave it to the nation of Israel, and He's going to rule in it, and He'll reign in this place and salvation will burn as a lamp in verse 2 the gentiles shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory and you will be called by a new name i love that again the book of revelation it lays out for us that we will all have a new name in fact jesus is going to have a new name a name was written that no man knew what is that new name? Well, remember what I just said. The Bible said no man knew it. You're going to have to wait till you get there to see it. On his thigh was written the word of God. The word of God. Revelation chapter 19. Jesus tells us in Revelation chapter 21. See, behold, I make all things new. That's the perfect culmination of redemption. All things made new. And it just seems right. Part of that all things being made new is a new name. A name that rightly carries the character of the person or people to whom it has been given. So he's saying here again, speaking to the nation of Israel, to the Jewish people, I'll give you a new name. Uh, You'll be called by a new name, which the mouth of the uh, which the mouth of the Lord will name, and you shall also be a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord, a royal diadem in the hand of your God. Look at verse four. You shall no longer be termed forsaken, nor shall your land any more be termed desolate. I love the fact that whenever God spoke of the promised land. He always spoke of it as a land flowing with milk and honey. And the truth is, the promised land is capable of flowing with milk and honey. In many ways, it flows with milk and honey still today. But as we read and study the book of Deuteronomy, what we discover is that God told the people, when you come there, know that it will be watered by me. I will bring the water. I will bring the early rain and the latter rain. Everything that you do, all the crops that you raise will will be dependent upon the rain that God brings. And if you turn your back on me and go other ways and other places, 
I will withhold the rain. When the rain is withheld, you will know. Something wrong in our relationship with the Lord. Call upon my name. Repent, turn to me, and I will forgive and heal your land. Still today, number one problem in the nation of Israel is water. Number one problem. They do everything they can do to solve the issue of needing God to send the rain. In fact, in the Old Testament leading up to the Babylonian captivity, the children of Israel went through a period of time where they worshipped the god Baal. You guys have heard that name, right? The god Baal. Guess what he was in charge of? Rain. So it's not raining, and rather than going to the Lord, they would go to Baal. And Baal's wife or mistress was uh, uh, Molech or Ashtaroth, and they would offer their children to that, to, to that God. Looking for the Lord <clears throat> Baal to bring rain, since rain wasn't falling on their land. So when the nation of Israel, you look at it today and you see that it's desolate, at least in those places that, that don't have water, the Lord says, no more will you be called desolate. No more. In fact, he tells them what they'll be called. You shall be called Hephzibah, which means my delight. My delight is in her. You will be called Hephzibah, and your land will be called Beulah. Beulah means married. Throughout the scripture, you'll discover that God always speaks of the nation of Israel as his wife. Jesus speaks of the church as his bride. But the father speaks of Israel as his wife, as his unfaithful wife that's always cheating on him and running away with other gods and doing all these other things. But here he says, when I return, when I reign as king and things are set to right, there won't be no desolation. There's God in your midst. There's not going to be an issue of rain. Everything you are missing, everything that you need, is going to be found in him. For the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a virgin, so shall your sons marry you. And as a bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. The Lord will be stoked at that time. The scripture tells us in the book of Romans that all Israel will be saved. I remember when I was... Growing up as a young man, a lot of people stumble on that. All of Israel will be saved. But don't forget what Paul said. Not everyone who says they are of Israel are of Israel any more than every Christian who says he's a Christian is a Christian. But those who accept Jesus Christ as their Messiah, they will be saved. What does Israel mean? Governed by God. Surrender your will to the Lord and you are governed by God. When the nation of Israel receives Jesus in Revelation 19, the Bible tells in the book of Zechariah that they'll look upon him whom they have pierced and they'll mourn as one mourns for his only son. They'll recognize Jesus Christ as the Messiah, put their faith and trust in him and all of Israel will be saved. All of Israel will be saved at that point, at that place. But listen, he goes on and says in verse 6, So I have set a watchman on your walls, O Jerusalem. 
They shall never hold their peace day or night. You who make mention of the Lord, do not keep silent. A couple of examples. The Lord, when he speaks of watchmen, he, he's often, like in the book of Ezekiel, speaking of the watchmen on the wall to sound the alarm. In case there's any enemies coming, he would sound the trumpet. And the Lord says to Ezekiel, Ezekiel, you are my watchman on the wall, and I want you to sound the trumpet. I want you to tell the children of Israel the words that I've given. And if you don't tell them, their blood's on your hands. But if you tell them and they don't hear you, their blood's on their hands. Here in Isaiah, he says, I see I put a, a watchman on your wall, and he's speaking of those prayer warriors. And those prayer warriors that he's talking about, look, He says, they will never hold their peace day or night. What did the psalmist say? Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Which means, by the way, Jerusalem means city of peace, which has known very little peace in its entire history. Because every possible country has fought over the possession of Jerusalem ever since they rejected their king. But the king's coming back. In the meantime, what's he say? Put watchmen on the wall who will never be silent, who will make mention to the Lord or of the Lord, do not keep silent and give him no rest till he establishes, until he makes Jerusalem a praise on the earth. So the Lord is saying for the watchmen, hey, pray and give God no rest. This is what God's saying. Pray, don't give me any rest. Pray that the Lord will deliver Jerusalem, that God returns, that his kingdom come. Father, or or Jesus, will you teach us how to pray? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. What's the next phrase? Thy kingdom come. Huh. Right out the gate. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And here he's saying in Isaiah, hey, pray, pray for Jerusalem, pray pray for the peace, pray until he establishes it. How long should we pray for the nation of Israel? How long should we pray for Jerusalem until the Lord returns? That's a long time. Or maybe not very long at all, which is okay with me too. But until that time, we're to pray. The Lord has sworn by his right hand that speaks of strength, by the arm of his strength. Surely I will no longer give your grain as food to your enemies. And the sons of the foreigner will not drink your new wine for which you have labored. But those who have gathered it shall eat it and praise the Lord. Think about the nation of Israel, the book of Judges, how much they struggled They would not walk with the Lord. And as they would not walk with the Lord, what happened? The Moabites, the Ammonites, uh, the Amorites. Every time their crop came in, they would wait until they harvested the crop. And until they they winnowed the, the, the grain. And they had the grain all prepared. And then those armies would sweep in and take all the food. Take it all. And Israel, the nation, would realize, oh, we've strayed from the Lord. And they'd call out to God for deliverance, and he'd send a deliverer. And that deliverer would lead them into a time of of prosperity. And prosperity would lead to a time of complacency. 
And complacency would lead to a time when they were not walking with the Lord their God. And the next thing they knew, harvest came and somebody came and took all their food. But God says, not anymore. It'll never happen again. When he comes and sets up his kingdom, that for which you've gathered, that you will receive. The one who has labored and gathered will eat it and praise the Lord. And those who have brought it together shall drink it in my holy courts. So go through, go through the gates, prepare the way for the people, build up, build up the highway, take out the stones, lift up a banner for the people. When he talks about this, building a highway, lifting up a banner, he's saying, elevate it. Like it's, the picture is like a freeway standing above the ground. You know, the, the city's down here, but the highway, the highway to come is, is lifted up. The stones, anything that would trip, Anything that would, that would restrain the people from entering in. And put a banner, a big sign that says, this way. This way. That's what the Lord is declaring. Put it up. Indeed, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the world. Say to the daughter of Zion, surely your salvation is coming. You see, God always wants them and us. To be focused on our hope. The hope of salvation. The hope of deliverance. The problem is these days people, you know, they, we, we look for the return of the Lord to deliver us from some issue, you know. Well, I charged up all my credit cards, so tomorrow will be a great day for the Lord to return. But that's not the concept that he's talking about. The concept that he's talking about is that constant looking and living prepared for the Lord's return. Prepared for him to, to come and be. Not looking for deliverance. Because what happens when you're looking that way? Then when something good's happening, what are you saying? Uh, Lord, if you just wait a couple more days, things are, are pretty good right now. And that's not the attitude God wants us to have. The attitude God wants us to have is even so, come Lord Jesus. Come. Bring that deliverance. Come unto me. And then he says, behold, his reward is with him. Hmm. In light of the scriptures that we read today, the inheritance of the Lord, and the fact that when Jesus returns, he's returning with all of his saints, his church will be with him. The church of Jesus Christ returning as a as a bridegroom adorned for her for her uh, groom. We're going to see the marriage supper of the Lamb in the book of Revelation completed at the time of the a millennial reign of Christ. And at that moment, the reward that's with him are the people who believe and trust. Listen, when he comes into the millennial reign, those people that he's serving have not made their decision for the Lord yet. How do we get into the millennial reign? How do we enter into that kingdom? The Bible tells us. It's a, the, the judgment between the sheep and the goats. What you did with his people, how you treated the nation of Israel. It takes place in the Valley of Jehoshaphat, the Valley of Judgment, which is just next to the Kidron Valley in Jerusalem between the Mount of Olives and the Temple Mount. And it says in that place that the Lord God is going to say to those on his right hand, depart from me. I never knew you. And those on his left, enter into the kingdom. And the difference will be what? In as much as you've done it unto the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. 
Are they saved? No. You're going to see a choice for salvation occur through the millennial reign. You see, God's going to answer for once and for all the question, is man a product of his environment? Well, we all have those excuses today, right? Oh, it's because of the way I grew up, or it's because of how I was treated in this, or how I was treated in that. The reality is the heart of man is, is evil. It's wicked. In the millennial reign, Christ is going to rule and reign perfect reign, perfect justice, everything right. The earth is going to be healed. When his feet touch the, the earth, the, the curse is going to be lifted. You're going to see the, the, the world take on an Eden-like quality. The people, the, the scripture lays out, if someone dies at 100 years old, they will say a baby has died. That there is this incredible long life that will occur during this reign of Christ on the earth. And we, the church, who have, have gone to be with him and return in Revelation chapter 19, we will have already been perfected. This isn't about us. It's about the nation of Israel and those who are in the kingdom. At near the end of the thousand year reign, the Bible says that he will loose Satan who has been bound for one season and satan is going to go around the world at that time and tempt people to go to war to rebel against jesus christ who has ruled and reigned perfectly the sad thing is it's not a little number that he raises up the bible indicates that his army is so large can't even be counted like the sand of the seashore This army is going to come against the Lord. They will make their choice to receive him, to accept him as their king, or reject him and rebel. And they'll find that man is not a product of his environment. Man's heart is wicked. And he needs to surrender that heart to the Lord Jesus Christ to receive salvation. That's going to occur. It will happen. For salvation is coming, and behold, his reward is with him, and his work is before him. And they shall call them the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. I love that phrase. The redeemed, twice bought, created and paid for. The redeemed, those who have been bought from something to something utterly different. Bought from destruction to eternal life. The redeemed of the Lord. And you shall be called, sought out. A city not forsaken. The Bible says that let no man say that he seeks after God. God is the great hound of heaven. It's God who seeks out us. It's the Lord who gives us that nudge of the holy spirit that gives us the ability to come to him it's god that gives us the faith necessary when we make a decision to receive him that we're able to exercise that faith that faith is a gift of god for we're saved by grace through faith it's a gift of god not of ourselves so that we can't boast 
That salvation freely given. He says, you will be called sought out because God will say, I came for you. Just like he came for you and me. And it gives us incredible hope when we consider the reality that God is seeking out the nation of Israel. That he doesn't give up on them. I'll tell you why that gives me hope. Because that means he's not giving up on me. Because he keeps his promise to them, he'll keep his promise to me. Because he's going to continue to seek after them until they will receive him. But every one of them will get the same choice, right? Every person is going to get an opportunity to decide, yes, Jesus will be my king. No, he will not. Yes, I will serve him. No, I will not. It'll all come down to that, that opportunity. As we close out, we're going to go ahead and close out in a time of prayer. Next week, we'll finish up the book of Isaiah. You say there's no way. I say there is. You might be right, but we'll see. Next week, we're going, to, we're going to close out the book of Isaiah. That's the plan, but we've got some incredible prophecies yet to come that we want to take a look at concerning the, the millennial reign of Christ. Right now, what we want to do is just set aside this time for a time of prayer, for time to seek the Lord. My watchmen, I have placed on a wall those who will not give me rest day or night, that will not keep silent, but will pray. In this section, praying for the peace of Israel and for the Lord's return. You pray for the Lord's return? Do you pray even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly? So we're going to set aside this time to call upon the name of the Lord. I invite you to, to pray along with us. If you'd like to, pray quietly. If you got a bail, I understand. God bless you. Go in peace. But uh, we're going to pray till we stop. And then when we stop, we'll have a time of fellowship. If you're still here, we'll fellowship with you. If you're not, we'll miss you, but we'll see you next time. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for this time. We can come before you, Lord. We thank you for an opportunity to study your word, Father. God, may we take all the opportunity we can to know you more. And we come to know you as we study your word. As we present ourselves unto you, Father, a a workman. Rightly dividing the word of truth. God, that we might receive by your spirit, Father, those deep things of God. Lord, we pray, Father, indeed we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would come quickly. And Lord, we pray in that, Father, for that peace upon the, the uh, uh, Jerusalem, Lord Jesus. We do pray, Father God, that you would continue to seek out and to save the lost. And Lord, we pray that you would pour out a spirit of revival among your body here that cannot be contained. Lord, that you would bring people to that incredible knowledge of salvation hand over fist, God, and that we might get to be a part of it. Lord, it's a work that you do. So we pray, Lord God, revive us again as we look for your blessing and your touch in Jesus' name.